I love everything about Christmas. I love, I love the, 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 the mince pies. I love the presents. I love the trees. I love the mistletoe. I've, I've actually put a lot of mistletoe around our home just, you know, just to surprise Fiona with little kisses every now and again. Surprise, it's Christmas love. Um, and uh, so it's going to be an exciting day. Let's just leave it at that. But I also love the songs. I am a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in Christmas mode from October. You put Boney in, Emma on from October, I'm singing along. I'm humming along, I'm singing along. I love the songs. I can go for any of the Christmas songs. I'm in for it all. The, the classic. If you know this one, do you know this song? It goes, we sang a little bit earlier, but it goes like this. Oh, come let us adore him. Join along. Oh, come let us adore him. Come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Ooh, the left-hand side is beautiful. Some wonderful harmonies there. The right-hand side, it's lovely. Thanks for, thanks for coming to church. Great. I love the classics. I love the contemporaries a little bit, something a bit more modern. You're the one who goes like this. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Oh, lovely. I even love the, the new children's favorite that somehow become wedged onto a Christmas album. Forget Handel's Messiah. Forget all the, the beautiful melodies of years gone by. You know the Christmas classic for kids. It goes like this. Baby shark, do 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 do. Baby shark, do 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 do. Baby shark, do 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 do. Baby shark. What has a baby shark got to do with Christmas? We don't care, but we love it, people. We love it. But there's one song. There's one Christmas song that I just don't get. Uh, maybe I need a little bit of help just to to sing this one, Sharon. Sharon, maestro on the keys, goes a little bit of something like this. Silent night. Holy night, all is calm, all is bright. But we can stop right there because you know what? That song does not make sense because whoever wrote that song has never been in the presence of a newborn birth. No one would, be, would describe the scene of a birth as silent, calm, bright. No, 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 no. What? Idiot! What is going on there? doesn't make sense to me, uh, because let me tell you about my experience with, uh, with birth, the birthing process. There was a lot of screaming, there was a lot of tears, and that was just me on the car ride to the hospital. <laughs> let me tell you, it was nothing like silent, calm, there was none of that. There was labor pains, there was epidurals, there was emergency C-sections, there was commentary from me until my wife said she did not want to hear anymore. There was blood, there was, there was, there was a scene out of the ER, out of, of Grey's Anatomy and Apocalypse Now combined. <laughs> Silent night, well, what is going on there? I don't understand that at all. For me, that song just doesn't make sense and never more than a time like 2021 does that song just doesn't fit. I don't know about you, it just doesn't fit. It just seems at odds with the, the world we're living in, and I, I feel I want to trade in the song Silent Night, and I feel that we need a more appropriate song for the times we're living in. So, I wrote one. <laughs> and it goes a little something like this. Violent night, holy moly night, all is wild. Everyone on Facebook fights. 
Round yon COVID test, pay exorbitant fees. No more lockdowns, Uncle Cyril, please. Sleep in quarantine, but first take your vaccine. Thank you. Thank you. Sharon on the keys, everybody. We'll be here all night. Please don't forget to tip your waitress. Thank you. Thank you. I love everything about Christmas, but there's one thing I don't like, if I'm honest, as I, as I peruse all these Christmas thoughts at this time of year, there's one thing that I don't like, and it's the word drama. There's this word drama that seems to find its way into my own. Most Christmases every year, without, without fail, without all the planning, all the preparation, drama seems to find us, and I'm sick and tired of Christmas drama. Uh, do, I, do I get a witness in the house today? No more drama. I don't want any more drama. You know, as, as the great prophetic writers and prophetic voices of our day and age, Fergie and the Black Eyed Peas once said, I don't need no drama. And I'm declaring that this Christmas. I don't want any drama. Just drama, I don't want to go anywhere near it. Don't go there, drama. But it always seems to happen around dinner tables or lunch tables. So I also took the, the liberty to help prepare you for what's coming up ahead. If you're watching online, Get a pen and paper ready. This is uh, the definitive guide on how to avoid drama this Christmas. Number one, don't mention anything to do with vaccines, quarantines, conspiracies. Just don't go there. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, the ANC, the DA, politics in general, don't go there. Lewis Hamilton being the rightful Formula One champion, don't go there. Just don't go there. Conversations about ex-girlfriends and ex-boyfriends just don't go there. It's helpful stuff, people. Man United's terrible season. Don't go there, please, guys. Please, they've had enough torture. Leave it off the table. Any red hair related jokes obviously goes without saying. Don't go there. Not helpful. We're done with that. Thank you. And lastly, and probably most importantly, that aunt that you haven't seen for ages and you're trying to decide as she walks in the door, is she pregnant or has she been tucking into her one too many mince pies in the lead up to Christmas? Just don't go there. Just don't go there. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Enjoy that. It's helpful. But jokes aside, there are certain things and certain trigger points at a time like this around Christmas. It seems that ignite drama in our hearts. Maybe I want to tell you today, maybe there's some things, places where you're wanting to hide from, want to run away from not wanting to go anywhere near that one thing. You're saying, I just don't want to go there. I don't want to go anywhere near it. And you masked up, tinseled up, wrapping papered up, and you saw smiles out on the exterior, but internally, there's an ache in your heart because you are trying to mull over the terrible state of your marriage, and you're like just saying, I just don't want to go there. I don't want to deal with that. Maybe it's the overdrawn credit card that you're already sweating about. Just don't go there, you, say, you want to say. The punch that you threw in anger earlier this year that ruined that friendship. Just don't go there. That doctor's diagnosis or that doctor's bill. Don't go there. The relationship that ended. The job that you lost. The child who is still addicted. you just like with a heavy heart. You want to say, don't go there. We are people who try and cover up. We're people who pretend it's not as painful. We medicate our way through it all. But I want to tell you today the great news of the Christmas story. The great news of the Christmas story is that the Christmas story was far from silent night, all is calm, all is bright. No, it is no sanitized, clean-cut Christmas story. No, no, no. The real Christmas story goes further than we ever thought. 
and goes to places that we'll never have imagined. And I want to tell you today, I want to trade you in your cute and cuddly Christmas story and give you the earth-shattering, sin-breaking, life-changing Christmas glory. I want us to lean into that this morning. The Christmas story goes to places you'd never imagined. It goes to the places that you and I would have all said, don't go there. But today we want to go there. So why don't you turn to your neighbor, if you're online, type this in the chat, why don't you tell them, we're going there. Three, two, one, give it a go. The first place that we find the Christmas story visits is a place called Nazareth. Now, on this side of, 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 of the of historical spectrum, we look at Nazareth with, with rose-tinted glasses, but for, from a biblical perspective, when the story took place, we have to understand that Nazareth was a place that was, would never have garnished anyone's attention. When you, they, if you say the word Nazareth to a, a biblical-time Jew, they would have answered, where? What, are you, what, what town are you talking about? So much so that whenever the biblical writers mention Nazareth, they always say Nazareth, comma, a small town in Galilee. They have to be explicit because if you're Googling maps in Nazareth, it doesn't come up first time. It just doesn't get there. And actually, so much so that Nazareth was not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible except in the Gospels. It's, it's, not, it's got no historical relevance. It's got no uh, biblical significance. It's got no prophetic nature to it. It's just this out-of-the-way, ordinary town called Nazareth. And actually, what's more, it's a one-horse town. Scholars will tell us at this time, there was about 50 to 100 people max living in Nazareth. This was a tiny dorpy. The place that you drive to, you blink and it's gone. Bye, poor father, and you're gone on your way. It's that type of reality. So it's, the word Nazareth actually means separated. And Nazareth, in every sense of that word, was separated from mainline society. I can imagine they were so backwater, they were the punchline of, of jokes. An Englishman, an Irishman, and a Nazarene walk into a bar. You know, it, they were that sort of a punchline. Nothing good comes from Nazareth, they would say. They were so backwater. They, I imagine if Nazareth in this day and age would still be operating Mixit and MySpace. They would still be waiting for the movie Titanic to come out. They were so behind the times. This is Nazareth, separated from normal life. But I love the fact that it's here in Nazareth, not in Rome, not in Jerusalem, that the Christmas story begins. And it does so too, and also out of the ordinary couple, a couple who are so, I should say out of the ordinary, because they are so ordinary. A teenage girl named Mary and a blue-collared average Joe named, you guessed it, Joe. A young couple who had nothing extraordinary about them, but the story starts in Nazareth with a young couple, for all intents and purposes, a disqualified people in a disqualified one-horse town. And you, wouldn't, you would be forgiven if when I said Mary and Joseph, you will say them, Nazareth, where? And you will just say, oh, don't go there. Don't go there. Disqualified. I don't want anything to do with that. Secondly, there's the city called Bethlehem. The story moves from Nazareth and then very quickly moves to a city called Bethlehem, a town called Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is the antithesis of Nazareth. This is one of prominence, one of biblical and prophetic prominence. So much so the word Bethlehem means house of bread, place of provision, place where people would go to seek refuge. It's an incredible reality that the Old Testament was filled to the hilt with prophecies about, oh, little town of Bethlehem, that the Messiah would come through, through Bethlehem, would come through the line of David, and it was a place, a focal point for attention year in and year out of maybe the Messiah will come this year, this year, this year. 
But years seem to tick past by all the time. You see, they were there. Mary and Joseph were there for a census. They were there with expectation and maybe going to go. This was their family town and they'd gone back home there. And, and maybe they're they looking forward to seeing relatives and they arrive and, uh, with hope, with promise, excitement and provision. And we know the story, the narrative though, is they are met there not with excitement, but they met with this, this pronouncement that there is no room for you here. No room. And it's such a sad indictment because this couple is shunted from place to place. Every Airbnb is booked out. Every Formula One is full. And they can't seem to get hold of any of their relatives in this crazy time. Their relatives are just blue-ticking them. Obviously, they have better things to do. And they can't get hold of anyone in Bethlehem. And they can only find a manger where the only companions were animals and a drummer boy. And I love the story and the fact that a place that promised so much. Bethlehem, house of provision. But for this couple, for this people, it becomes a place of huge disappointment. Bethlehem, don't go there. Don't go there. The story carries on, goes from Nazareth into Bethlehem, and thirdly, to a place called Egypt. And because of a huge political fracas that we'll get to now, Mary and Joseph, along with their newborn infant, have to hightail it to Egypt. Now, I don't know about you and your medical aid plan, but that doesn't sound like a good medical aid plan. Have the baby and then go to Egypt. Just doesn't seem to work out for me. But I can imagine their narrative would be, let's go back to Nazareth. Let's go back to where it's familiar. Let's go back to where we're known and where it's a bit small and comfortable. Anywhere but Egypt. But you see, they go to Egypt, a land of foreign gods, a land of in, 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 an inhospitable land, and most importantly, a reminder of their nation's worst defeats. And it would have been everywhere. The reminder of what happened hundreds of years before, 400 years of slavery, a reminder of how the ancestors were whipped, were beaten, were enslaved by the Egyptians and had to build the soul society on their backs. And as they arrive in Egypt, they look at all this reminders of slavery and what the despair and devastation that was poured out on their ancestors. It's like, like a Holocaust survivor moving back to Auschwitz, finding safety in Auschwitz. It just doesn't make sense. Egypt. Don't go there. But the Christmas story goes there. And they had to go there. Why? Because there was a small man named Herod, a small insecure man with big political clout who even self-referenced himself as the king of the Jews. He had ordered an edict for all males born in the vicinity of Jesus to be put to death. A mass genocide of infants across the land. And maybe here on Christmas morning, and you're going, Gabe, you're talking about mass genocide on Christmas morning? Don't go there. I want to tell you, that's in the Bible. That's in the Christmas story. And just like when Moses was born many centuries before and Pharaoh took out all the firstborn boys, the enemy's plan is always the same. Whenever God wants to move in our lives and across the span of biblical history, the enemy always comes against a birthing. He did it when God sent Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. He did it now when, when, when God sent Jesus to deliver the people. And I want to tell you, the enemy wants to do it again today. Even here, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling very hopeless, but as we've sung, as we start to preach, maybe a glimmer of hope starts to rise in your hearts. Maybe there's something different. The enemy wants to come right now and snatch that hope, snatch that birthing and kill off the promise that God has for you. Because the enemy always comes against the birthing. But I want to tell you today, the enemy wants to just pull you away from going there. Every time we want to go there to lean into the places of pain and sin and devastation to allow the grace of God to flow, then we want to pull us away from that. Don't go there. Stay masked up. Put tinsel over it, wrapping paper. Pretend and carry on as normal. 
But the story lands in the fourth and final place after Egypt is a place called Ramah. And maybe you might not be familiar with this in the Christmas story, but the scriptures tell us that a great cry rose up from Ramah at the death of all these innocents and the injustice of this genocide that took place. And this was a story that had been prophesied in Jeremiah 31, and this takes place in Matthew chapter 2. But it's a thing that Ramah, the city, would forever become synonymous with a place of deep despair and pain. So much so that in the scriptures we hear that the mothers refused to be comforted at the loss of their little ones. Deep distress, deep pain, the deepest of hurt. I can imagine for them, Ramah, don't go there. So if we look at it, it'll appear on the screen behind me. The gospel story goes to Nazareth, a place that's disqualified. It goes to a place that's called Bethlehem, a place that's disappointed. It goes to a place called Egypt, a place that is defeated. And then it goes to a place called Ramah, a place of their deepest distress and despair. The gospel Christmas narrative goes there. I want to tell you, but this was God's plan. This wasn't the hands of man orchestrating this event. This was God's plan all along. That God's rescue plan was birthed in the four most disqualified, disappointing, defeated, and desperate of places. This is the good news of Christmas. But the greatest news of all is not that Jesus was born as a baby. He was born as a baby with a purpose. And that purpose was go to another place of deep, deep pain and distress. A place called Golgotha. And this place, Golgotha, literally means the place of the skull. Death. Death. And I can imagine in the story, this is a reality. When you, when you think about Jesus as a little boy, as he grew up and, and, and he would go to Jerusalem, and they would walk past the area called Golgotha, a place that was a hill, like a rubbish dump, a place where criminals would be hung up and crucified and then discarded in a, in a rubbish dump and be infested with rats and, and an odor so disgusting and broken. I can imagine Mary shielding his eyes and saying, Jesus, just don't, don't go there. Don't go there, Jesus. Look, look away. Don't go there. We don't, I don't want to expose you to that R18 disaster. Let's move along. Don't go there. But we find after 33 years, we were the reality that Jesus didn't come to be born. He came to die. He came to die. Son of God, dying on a cross. Don't go there. Don't go there. But he did go there. This is the good news of Christmas for you and I. As C.S. Lewis put it more succinctly, he said, the Son of God became the Son of Men so that sons of men might become the sons of God. That's our hope. That's our declaration of joy at Christmas. I want us to stand to our feet as we land this moment together. Today I want to tell you, maybe you are feeling at a place of great disappointment this year. You look back over your shoulder at 2021 and there's disappointment. Disappointment at your relationships, at your finance, at your emotions. There's a sense of great disappointment. Maybe you look over your shoulder and you see a whole lot of disqualification. That you've gone to places and done things and maybe nobody even knows about that you are ashamed of. And you just don't want to go there. You're trying to bury it down and, and hide that thing away. Maybe there's great defeat over your shoulder. You, you're just limping through to the end of the year and you've got, you're just trying to hold what little left you have together. Maybe there's deep despair in your heart. You've lost people. You've lost opportunities. You've lost jobs. And there's this pain that just you fall asleep at night and you wet your pillows with tears. I want to tell you the good news of Christmas today is not a cute, cuddly Christmas story. It is the sin-shaking, sh sin earth-breaking, world-changing, life-altering Christmas glory that wants to go there. It wants to go there. 
It wants to invade that part. And here's the good news. As Jesus was on the cross and his blood started to flow, I tell you his blood went to our deepest state of disqualification. His blood went to our deepest stain. It went to our deepest disappointment. It went to our deepest defeat. It went to our deepest fear, deepest insecurity, deepest anxiety. The blood of Jesus went there and it wants to go there for you today. And this is the invitation of Christmas for us. So I want to help us move today. Move from desire to decision. You can be here now and there's a desire. I want, I want something to change in my life. I don't want to just keep going on and dragging this trail of, of disappointment, disqualification, defeat, despair behind me. I want to let go and embrace the goodness of God. Allow that to go into the depths of my heart. But you have to move from just being desiring it to making a decision to receive it. That is the, the response of Christmas. We've got to move from disqualification, move from disappointment, move from defeat, move from despair, despair to Jesus' fullness of life. We've got to move from sin to salvation. And that's on offer for every single one of us today. The good news of Jesus, whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, I don't care. The grace of Jesus wants to go there. Maybe you say, I've made this prayer many times. Jesus says, I don't care. I want to go there again. Let's go there again. Don't go there, says the enemy, but the gospel says, I'm going there. Why don't we close our eyes in this moment, and if you, like me, need a fresh touch of the goodness of God this Christmas, not the cute, cuddly Christmas story, but you need the, the, the world-changing Christmas glory that intersects with your life, with your pain, with your fear, with your loss, with your defeat, with your sin. Why don't we raise our hands together? Raise your hands as high as you can. Allow the grace of Jesus to intersect with your life today. As we raise our hands, Jesus, I thank you, Father God, today, whether it's online or in this room, I thank you that your grace and your mercy flows, and it flows to our lowest place. It flows to our deepest shame. It flows to our most broken spaces. I thank you, Father God, you came so that we can be resurrected anew in you. And I thank you today, new hope starts to rise up in our hearts. Hope that's not based on wrapping paper. Hope that's not based on family events. Hope that's not based on 1st January. Hope that's not based on a cure. Hope that's not based on a new diagnosis. Hope that's not based on economy, politics, business, nothing. Hope that's based on the fact that you fulfilled your promise and sent your son. You fulfilled your promise, God, and you're not a liar. You'll be faithful even when we're faithless. And I thank you, God, today, our greatest hope is that because you sent your son to come as a baby, we await with expectation knowing that you will come again. But this time as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to redeem us and put an end to all sorrow, to all sadness, we sing joy to the world. Joy to the world, but joy to my soul. One more time, lift your hands to him. Lift your hands. We're not done with God today because he's not done with us. I thank you, Father, right now. I thank you, Jesus, in this moment. Would you save people? Would you redeem people? Would you restore to them joy where there's been depression? Would you restore to them life and hope and dreams and destiny where the enemy is trying to snuff out? I thank you, Father God. You go there and your blood never fails.